Hello, and welcome to the 40 Below sessions for 40 Below Volume 2, Alberta's Winter Anthology. Today's episode is featuring me, Jason Lee Norman. I am the editor and the publisher of 40 Below Volumes 1 and 2. And today's episode is brought to you by Christmas, because it's almost Christmas when we're recording this. And as a Christmas gift, we're going to have somebody not just anybody, interview, writer, visionary, editor, Jason Lee Norman. And that person is my partner, Lamia Asif, and she basically has helped with every single aspect of the publishing of both of these books. So anything that was done behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, pretty much anything was done by Lamia. Hi, Lamia. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. You having a good day? <laughs> yes. Are you excited for Christmas time? I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait for people to listen to this in June. <laughs> Probably. But then it'll be almost halfway <laughs> to Christmas. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. So basically, I thought this was a good idea, and I told you about it five seconds ago, so mm-hmm. we're just going to spring it on you right now. So instead of me asking myself questions in some weird edited, weird Al Yankovic type way, I thought you might know some good questions to ask, and we can talk about the book a little bit. And I can finally tell all. Okay. So here, you have the reins now. Are we talking about all the scandals behind 40 Below, Every 40 Below Volume 2? Warts and all. <laughs> okay, I love exposés. Okay, um, it is true. We didn't prepare that much for this. Um, but I'm going to try to ask you questions because I have been around a lot of the questions that you have been asked over the last few months. And I feel like they're all the same ones. So I'm going to try to stay away from the generic ones. Like, how much money do I make? People always ask that. They, they kind of do. They're a little more <laughs> diplomatic about it. I say I make $20 a book. That's how much they cost. They ask you if you live in a house. So that's like the roundabout way. Of <laughs> okay, they don't do that. Um, Whose name is on the deed? <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> they always ask, can I see which kind of car you drive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, um, let's be serious. Okay, this is a serious question. Actually, I don't think I actually think it might be a little bit generic, but I am curious to see what you have to say when you're just doing it without having to worry about what the answer is. So um, there's a little bit of separation now between definitely between 40 Below Volume 1 and 40 Below Volume 2 is still a newborn. If we use the analogy, you always like to use the analogy that they're your babies. They are. The books are like my children and the the writers inside are like the more children. (laughs) Your grandchildren. My grandchildren, yes. <laughs> okay, but let's not go too far in that analogy. But but seriously, now that they've had a little bit of time to grow up, um, one more than the other, what what are your feelings about it? If you are able to take a step back and sort of just reflect on the whole process and the way that um, the lifespan that the first book has had and the tiny lifespan that the second book has had for the past few months. I think, you know, there's so many things. There's so many, like, child, like comparisons that you can make but I'll try not to just keep doing that but I think so you're talking about the f- the second book now or both of them now looking back on both of them both of them well I think when volume one came out so that was November 2013 um, was when the, the book came out and it was uh, a pretty big whirlwind we we're just kind of like scrambling to get do launches and 
appearances at different events and get the writers all together. And it was always my dream just to have every single person in the room that I could, like of the 50, I think there's 55 writers in the, in the first one. I, you know, I just thought if I could get all 50 or if I could get 40, that'd be a cool number. And they'd all be in the same room and then everyone could be like, you know, see them all and they'd be talking to each other and they'd be all giving their opinions or, you know, some of them would be reading their pieces from the book. And that would, that would be what the launches are like. And then, you know, when you get closer to the launch date, you realize that, you know, when you have 50 writers in a book, that's 50 different lives. It's 50 different, just completely different lifestyles. People don't necessarily live in Edmonton anymore. Um, some people are very old. Some people are very young. Some people are just busy. They have other stuff to do. They don't, they're not going to stop their lives just because they got published in a book. As much as I might think that I would stop everything I was doing if I was published in a book mm-hmm. and just do anything that was needed, it's just not realistic. So, at you know, at first I just kept thinking about all those. Like, what if we could get everybody? What if how much you know how many people could we get? How like many? an idealistic parent. Yes, exactly. We're yeah, gonna I want be all best my, friends. I mean, yeah. my child's gonna be my best friend. Yeah, bringing it back to the child thing. <laughs> okay, sorry. And um, so there was lots of that, but I think and then but in terms of just the book, I just thought I thought it was a great book. I thought. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. I wanted people to know there was a lot of idealism towards the book itself. And just I wanted people know, to know that this was put together for very like lo- I had lofty goals as far as creatively. This wasn't just like, look at all these people that are from Edmonton that wrote stuff. I thought the work was very strong. I thought the stories were very strong. I thought the poetry was very strong. This was up to a standard that I had set that I felt was very high. But it did also have to meet certain criteria, which was, you know, Edmonton in winter and things like that. And I've talked before about some stories were just generically kind of winter uh, stories. And and they didn't have a feeling like if I was in Edmonton, I would know what this felt like. So some things were scratched and then vice versa. Something was really Edmonton based, but maybe it could have been written in any season. So I had to make decisions that way. So but I, I was kind of big on that fact and just kind of thumping that idea hard that. This was, you know, capital L literature and uh, oh. yeah, capital L literature. That's serious. Yeah. And I th- because I thought it was very strong and I wanted people to know that just because somebody lives in Edmonton or, you know, might have a day job and they work with you, it doesn't mean that they're not on evenings and weekends and all the other time that they have free aren't writing excellent literature. And a lot of the people in the first book and the second book are published themselves and they have great careers in writing and great careers otherwise. So um, I thought that was a big thing because I didn't want people just to be, to be like, I didn't want to tell people, look, it's it's an Edmonton book, so you have to like it, you know, because it's an Edmonton. So moving towards the second book, I thought that the idea was the, was the exact same again. I wanted people to, outside of Edmonton, to start to see the, these people, even though a lot of them are from Edmonton. Um, and some people have talked about the fact that there's still a lot of Edmonton artists in the book, which, I mean, I can go into explaining exactly how that happens, but mainly when the first book did so well, I live in Edmonton, mostly Edmonton people heard about it. I got the word out as much as I could through across the province, but chances are if you'd heard about it the first time, it it was because you had an Edmonton connection. Mm -hmm. So when you heard about the call for submissions for a second one, you were probably connected to to an Edmonton person somehow. But there, um, the one thing that I defend is that I don't think there's a lot of 
stuff that only works to an Edmonton audience. And I think even the people that are writing about this area, I think people in Calgary and Red Deer and Fort McMurray, I think they can still see that this is an Alberta winter book. Mm-hmm. So, did, yeah. I'm just going to jump in because it, it it already sounds like the words that you're using are like very telling. Because you you talk about the first one and you there's no defensiveness about it. And then the second one there is. Because I think you immediately become, you have to become defensive as soon as you decide that you want to do something else again that was successful. In terms, okay. when in like any kind of, I keep calling it like the sequel and stuff. Volume two is a very like, I think the difference between volume two and part two means in terms of like a movie, volume one, volume two means this is the same story that's continuing in this, in a, in a certain sense. And part two is, well, no, maybe it's the other way around. I don't even know. Like Ghostbusters 2, it's just let's get all the guys together and do another ghost thing. But but they're going to pick it apart a little bit more. Well, because they're like, well, I know why you, you only did this because it was successful. Basically is the point. You, you only did this because it was successful the first time. And so you're right. When I, when I did the first book, there was nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy about that. And I was really proud of myself about that because nobody had seen something like that before. So then when I thought about doing a second one, in my head and in my heart, it was because I thought that there was more out there to share with people without repeating, without repeating yourself or repeating the same mm-hmm. joke or idea or themes, which is, what, um, which is what movies are criticized for when they do like sequel stuff. It's the same jokes told the same way in a different sort of situation. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So my idea was... I thought that there was more to say by the people in the province, not just in the city. I thought it could expand. So, like I said, I think as soon as you think about doing something again, it's just immediate defensiveness right from the get-go. People want to know why you're doing it again. People want to know what your intentions are or were. So so now I know why you take such a big, deep breath when people say, so are you going to do volume three? (laughs) Yeah, I take a deep breath. I take a deep breath for two reasons. The, f- the first one is because they've never read the second one. <laughs> or maybe even the first. Or maybe even the first. And they just want to say something because it's like nobody's... It's the natural t- progression of the conversation. But it's like when they, you know, they, they encounter you at, at a signing or they encounter you somewhere and they kind of pick up the book and nobody said anything for three seconds and they go, so when are you going to do the next one? <laughs> and, you know, I don't think I should be allowed to do another one if the second one wasn't good. So maybe you should like make form your own opinion and read the first two and then say, I think there's a lot here. I'd like to see this as a, you know, yearly thing, you know, or something like that. But mm-hmm. instead, it's just something that fills the, the blank kind of space in between a conversation. Wow. And I mean, it's it I, it's it's still a decent question. Like I still have ideas for, but I I wanted people. It's not it, one of my questions. Once again, if you had a second kid, <laughs> yeah, and people said, oh, it's what a cute baby. When are you gonna have another kid? You're like, this baby is still. Like, it's just in the hospital now. Like, can I name <laughs> yeah. it? And It's not it walking ha- yet. How yeah. about we wait till it takes its yeah. first steps? Can we have the first birthday party where we <laughs> shove cake in its face? Like, you know, they just want to know when another thing is going to happen. Because that's some, and for some people, that's the only part that's exciting, maybe, is that this is the creation of it. Well, I mean, there's something to that, right? Where it's like, it, that's great. Look, at you have this thing here. I can hold it in my hands. It's beautiful. Or, you know. Or maybe not. Some people think. I don't know. But then it's like, what are you moving on to? And that is, it wasn't going to be one of my questions because I know you don't like it. Not that about the third volume necessarily, but about what's next as a project or as an initiative. And you already have a lot of things that are going on. So maybe that it's just a continuation. 
of those things? My, um, my, I think what comes next is is becoming a publisher, um, you know, just a publisher, publisher, not a self publisher, not one guy with some books in the basement, a publisher, and everyone has to start somewhere. So, we started with one book. Now there's two. Pretty soon there's going to be three, um, and we're going to publish not just anthologies, but you know, single works by or an author, single authored works, mm-hmm. and. That's a pretty big leap. Pretty big leap in what way to be? Well, it's just, um, it's one thing to work with all of the different writers, right? Little pieces maybe are easier than one big one. So is that a little bit scary? I think it, I, sometimes you're pretending like we haven't talked about this already before, which is good. I'm you're trying doing a good to job. be no, an interviewer. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I think it's less scary. I think I, I think it's more scary because you, you might... Actually, I don't. I don't know if it's scary. I think there are there are definitely different challenges that are going to come up, but having so many people behind you or in the book, it kind of lifts everything up. You go, there's 50 people in here. People can't even think about that. There's 70 pieces. There's 70 you know poems and things. So it didn't. It it was definitely it's a daunting task when you put it together. But I already did it. I did it twice. So now to go now, what if you just published? a book this length but with one person and when you sent emails you only had to send an email to one person instead of 50 and um so i think i think there are th- yeah, there are definitely a ton of challenges but i don't think things are as scary i think it's definitely more of just the fact that it's the next step it's something else i can do it's something to build on this foundation that we've started when i say we I mean you and i but also we like the royal we and um because we we have started something, and I think just to go and do not that much else after, I think once again it kind of it'll it just it lessens maybe what's already been done. Mm-hmm. Is it keep the momentum going forward? I do worry about that a lot about keeping momentum going. I've said this before too. I worry about if I don't do anything for six months, I do. Th- I am pretty sure that people won't care what I'm doing, and then um, my phone's ringing. You want to check it out? No, we can have. Just want to. We can have that oh, conversation. It's my mom. You want to answer it? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, that was my mom. Everything's fine. Okay. There's good. no emergencies. Yeah, I do. It's a weird. It's a weird way of thinking. I just think that so many people are up to stuff, and my one of my strengths is that there's always something going on that people pay attention to, and if I kind of go away to work on something else that when I come out with that thing that I made, people will be like, well, it doesn't matter anymore because we've been paying attention to other stuff that other people have been doing. But also I think other people are way busier than I am and manage to do many things at once. And I fall back on the fact that I have these projects, but really I could be doing two things at once or, you know, I don't delegate my time properly at all. So it's really just a huge excuse. Okay. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> That's fine. Um, uh, sorry to go a little bit backwards because what we did was we said, how is 40 Below doing now and what are you going to do in the future? And so now we have to go somewhere in the middle. Um, so the middle of it is um, back to um, 40 Below Volume 2, but I guess it could involve the first one as well. Um We hear obviously so much about what it was supposed to be, the anthology, which is um, championing um, Edmonton winters, Alberta winters, uh, the beautiful words that can sort of uh, describe it and all of these people's stories and first time writers, 
um, you know, well-published writers. So we hear all of those things. But is there something that's like really unsung about um, either book or both? I just, once again, I think the one of the things that can be, is kind of unsung is the the strength that anthologies have. I think now once again I'm once again I just go right to being defensive. I just think anthologies can be very strong, and I think um, people aren't people might not be used to reading short fiction, and then people definitely might not be used to reading short fiction right beside a poem or two or three, and then. Uh, you know, an essay or a creative nonfiction piece. And, you know, the anthology gives people that. So there was also the, the main plan, which was that an anthology can be a great way to see all the writers in, in this case, in your area that are great. So there was a little bit of that. And then the second one I, I said before in interviews and, and things like that was just the idea about, you know, it can be a, it can champion winter or, or I can be like a winter cheerleader, but also it's just the fact that winter is a part of our life in Canada and in this part of the world, absolutely. And we might be having a kind of warmer, different winter now, but it's something that people have dealt with for many, many years, and they've been very harsh at times and much easier to deal with at other times. So that way of living your life, it, it inspires art the way that living anywhere inspires people's art. But because it has a negative connotation and makes people not feel so good it's hard to kind of put the two things together to think even though most of the time pain is supposed to kind of create art later anyway so it was there was the main idea that you know our landscape should um we should be able to celebrate the fact that our landscape can inspire these things even when it can kind of look stark and cold and unforgiving okay well you have a piece of art in 40 Below Volume 2. I do. So now maybe is a good time to share it if you want to do that. Okay, I'll read this. <laughs> Somebody asked me to write a winter-related kind of essay or story, and I thought of this, and then I realized that it would be a good fit in 40 Below. So I uh, snuck it in, as I like to tell people, because I'm the editor and I can do whatever I want. And it's um, it's just about this idea that you know, a lot of my thinking, I could do a lot of thinking when I'm shoveling snow and there's like a nice rhythm to things and there's like a nice, you know, peacefulness. You're alone, you're working, but, and uh, so you definitely have a lot of time to think. And then it also gives me time to think about how people are wrong all the time about stuff. Just like, while you're shoveling? I think about it all the time. Yeah, that's what I thought. When I'm shoveling, nobody else is interrupting me <laughs> while I'm thinking oh, okay. <laughs> but... So in this case, I'm thinking about why that people are wrong when they say that Edmonton has so much winter all the time. Okay. So I'm going to read this now. It's called Not Until. My girlfriend tells me that I care too much about semantics. She says that I focus too much on the words that people say and don't give enough credence to what a person meant to say. I don't know how to read between the lines, she says, which is probably because I'm spending too much time reading the actual lines. That's where I've always believed most of the meaning is. Why would someone not mean the things they say, I've thought? And why wouldn't someone just say what they mean? Take winter, for instance. People are always saying that in Edmonton we have six months of winter or eight months of winter or something like that. This kind of talk makes my brain boil from anger because I know that we have the exact same amount of winter each year. 
I know full well that the first day of winter isn't officially until the 21st of December and not a week earlier. And I also know full well that the first day of spring is March 20th and not a month later. According to my calculations, that's only three months of winter. If you have a problem with how cold it is in November or April, then that's really something you should be bringing up with fall or spring. Leave winter out of it. I stand in my front room and look out the window. The first big dump of snow has arrived, and it's time to go outside and shovel. A lot of people would, be, would say that winter has officially arrived, but not me. I know better. I go into the bedroom and start to put on layer after layer of clothing. I look out the window again, this time to my next-door neighbor's house. She's an older lady, and I've agreed to take care of her driveway as well this year. Twice as much work. In the middle of the street, two magpies are fighting with a raven for something. The raven is as big as a lassa apso, and whatever he is guarding, he is definitely succeeding in keeping it from the magpies. I go outside and start to shovel. I know that with the size of my driveway and my neighbor's driveway and the tools I have at my disposal, that this will be a multi-hour endeavor. I start by clearing a path for my girlfriend's car so that she doesn't get stuck in the driveway when she gets home. I make a runway down the length of the drive that is basically just two long strips wide enough for the wheels of her car to fit into and follow all the way up into the safety of the garage. I look out into the street and the magpies and raven are still at it over that little piece of trash. I think it's an apple core. My girlfriend throws them out the car window sometimes when she's done with the apple. She says they're organic, so it's okay to do. I still feel weird about it. I wonder if the birds are fighting over my girlfriend's apple. I turn back to shoveling again and start to think about winter. Maybe I'm wrong in thinking that winter arrives at the same time every year. Maybe there needs to be something more dramatic that happens so as to wake everyone up and make them realize that it's time for winter. Time to pay attention. Time to get prepared. Time to slow down and enjoy things. Maybe a huge accumulation of snow could be considered the official arrival of winter. It definitely gets people's attention more than a date on a calendar. 300 cars in the ditch in a 24-hour period can wake people up as well. In this city, we need a moment rather than a date. The magpies are getting frustrated and the raven seems content in just sitting there on top of the apple core or whatever it is. He wants the magpies to know who's in control. Suddenly, the magpies pull some kind of tag-team wrestling move and snatch the apple core away from the raven. The raven gives up soon after this and the magpies celebrate with what looks to be a high five in a nearby snowbank. They even take a couple of celebratory rolls in the snow. They're so pleased with themselves. It's at this point that my girlfriend's car comes rolling around the corner, bouncing and sliding through the huge piles of powder built up on the street. She uses the pathway I've made for her car and then rolls down the window. I lean into her warm car and kiss her warm lips with my cold ones and my icy beard immediately starts to melt. She says she'll be out in a minute to help me with the rest of the shoveling. I tell her to stay warm inside, but she insists. I know now that it really is officially winter in Edmonton. It doesn't arrive on December 21st each year, and it doesn't arrive after the first big snowfall. It's not until those magpies get that apple core away from the raven and spend the rest of the night laughing about it together in a tree somewhere, keeping warm however birds do. Apple cores are organic waste. I'm just <laughs> I know. So they do they're biodegradable. It makes sense to me. Right? Okay, I, I I can never quite tell if that's making fun of it or not, but it's the truth. That's why I wrote it cuz it's the truth. And everything else in that story happens just the way I said it, too. <laughs> okay. Um 
I don't I, you, like traditionally when you got when you have been the leader of the rest of these podcasts and been the interviewer, you have asked about the stories. But I feel like that one's just very straightforward. It's very direct, and you can tell exactly what you're feeling and thinking. Yeah, no, it is. It is pretty much that way. It, a lot of it is the, exactly the way it happens. And even watching, I wanted, I guess, in the winter time, especially in around our neighborhood, there's just a lot of magpie activity, and I'd wanted to write about birds doing weird stuff for a long time. And you you really watch them. I really do because I think it's <laughs> I think they're very interesting, and. Um, because, like I always say, they're up to something. Like, they're not just doing stuff sometimes. It seems like you they're... You have a weird relationship with the neighborhood animals. Like, I do, the magpies, yeah. you're very suspicious of them. And I think rightfully so. Yeah, and then... Yeah, and they're mean to the cat that lives next door. And I used to not care about cats. But then I'm like, you know, the you cats... You pet him one time. I did, which I don't usually do. And, and But then I thought about cats, and they probably keep mice away in that area of you know the That's you know true. the yards and stuff so then when i saw the magpies being mean to him yeah and you I have thought, a, a, yeah. sorry you thought what i just thought they shouldn't be mean to him he was just trying to have a sleep and then they were <laughs> making all this commotion and they they wanted him to leave their area and i thought that was rude <laughs> and and um, you have a very special affection for what you think is our yard's rabbit yeah, because I don't know. It's just he comes there and it, he comes to sleep in the yard and it makes me feel like he's chosen this place or he knows that it's a safe place and there's not a dog that's going to get him and he can just relax. And it seems like, you know, if you're an animal in the city, it's different from being an animal in nature. I think a lot of the time in nature, animals are just sitting around not doing anything or just kind of gathering berries and putting them in their mouths and stuff. They're, it's It's not, you know, it's not like they're always just roaming around i think they're just really relaxing most of the time or resting you know and they have you know so i just think if you know in the city it's just they're dodging one thing after the other and that's true and i and it's not like people hate rabbits at all it's just they're all over the place sometimes they're indi- we're indifferent to them i'll yeah. speak for everybody who doesn't have special feelings for rabbits we're indifferent to them yeah because they don't have a cool uh oh because they're everywhere they're all, they are everywhere but if they had like a cooler like personality because they just dart in front of your car. If they were like a coyote, yeah, if you saw like 10 coyotes. Spazzes. Yeah, they are big spazzes. And they have that weird red eyes. We don't like the coyotes either. I think they're, but when you see one, you're like, freaky. oh, what's going on? What's he, you know, it's cool. So. And it's like, and there's a story about coyote in the first volume. And, That's true. you know, kind of thing. So anyway, I just kind of like it. And, you know, when I'm, I'm a, I'm a, what did I call myself? I'm a stay at home writer. Yes. So, you know, I'm at the house. A lot and, you know, just staring looking out, out the, the window, window. <laughs> and staring, yeah, I'm just staring out the window. So, you know, and sometimes you see a little rabbit and he's just having a nap under some some bushes or something. And it just feels like, you know, I want it to feel like a safe place. And um, so, like I said, I just, but I don't want to write about animals all the time. <laughs> I just think that's I don't want to do that because most of the time animals don't have any kind of wisdom to give you in that way. It's really just human wisdom that you're. And in that case, it's the same thing. I, I did see something very close to that where it was basically a fight between three birds. And two of them definitely did seem to do a weird, like, they one distracted the other and then he turned and then the other guy grabbed the apple core. I don't even know what it was. So, and they do, and magpies, if you see them, they do kind of roll around in the snow sometimes. So, and it looked like they were, once again, it looked like they were laughing. 
Yeah, they're so really cocky. They, yeah, and especially in our neighborhood. So even if a crow a is special there, north side swagger. We do have north side magpies. <laughs> north side represent. And, uh, yeah, they own the neighborhood. Like, they do weird stuff together. Mm. And there's always a bunch of them, and they make trouble. So when there's a when there's a big raven or a crow or whatever we're supposed to call them, he's in there. He's not really supposed to be there, even though he's bigger. So, you know, they have these kind of – they have these traits and things like that. So I didn't want to write about animals, but – and I didn't also just want to write about what the things I think about while I'm shoveling snow. So I kind of put those okay. put those things together. But, yeah, there's, there isn't much symbolism like all, all my other deeper writings. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. I just thought there, we don't have to pick this apart as much because it's really just laid bare. It's true. Okay. Can we do rapid fire? Sure. For 40 Below Volume 2? And I'll edit out all of the, like, minute-long pauses where you have to think of the answer. Are you going to ask me favorites and things? Because uh, I can't do that to these people. Not favorite pieces. Um, right. Little bits okay. inside the pieces. Can we do that? Okay, because I don't want to make anybody. No, upset I'm like with I was gonna. I was thinking like favorite line. Oh, okay. Or a favorite phrase or something or collection of and words. You, and you're gonna edit it <laughs> so it seems like I'm stories. saying it rapid fire. Yes. Okay. Got yeah. It. So it's gonna be rapid. Okay. Okay. Well, let's start with that one then. You already know it. In the whole book, and, and my, you might not have one, but your favorite line in the whole book. The first one that comes to mind is is Jennifer Delisle's North Saskatchewan, and all year long we drink the river. Nice. It's about the North Saskatchewan. I think that one's pretty simple, and um, you know, you talk about basically you talk about something that has life inside of it, and then we drink from that. I think it's pretty cool. I like um, Carla Madge, her story, the riddle. It's like a little like prose poem. And uh, there's a couple cool lines in that one. So something about like it's about finding a dead body. So there's like the pubic hair of like, I knew you were say like that. metal shavings. I like that part. Okay. Also, um, in Corpse Flower by Diana Adams. No wonder he became a geographer. That basically the the man becomes a not an undertaker. What's the word for the people that take care of the dead body? Mortician, kind of. I guess. He did that because he wanted to get closer to the woman that worked at the funeral place. And then there's a story, but, you know, that, you know, some gas escapes and the body kind of moves. And anyway. Okay. Anyways, rapid fire. Okay. Next question. Uh, favorite character? Favorite character? Well. So this is more for the stories. Yeah. I do. I don't know if she's my favorite character, but I was really obsessed with. Uh, I'm not going to get her name right, but the 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 female in Cat um, Cameron's Whiteout, just because I I thought that she didn't really do anything to make anybody basically not like her or like her, but you just felt you felt that she had a lot of pain and you felt that nobody cared about her pain, and that's what made the story so interesting was just that, and you know if the roles were reversed, I don't think it would have been. You know, if it, you know the fact that she's just she she's not a passive person, but she's a female character. She's had this go, she's had these things happen to her. She's had this bad relationship, and the this that whole idea of the girlfriend meeting the the mother of the boyfriend, and just that bad, uncomfortable stuff, and the way and I think that she captures a lot of the like 
just those things that the mothers can say that just really get. And it's just the fact that it just doesn't seem like she cares who this girl is that's standing in front of her. So I just thought she was the most interesting just in that in, in terms of uh, I just, ha- you know, if you listen to that podcast, I have a lot of questions about that because I just liked it. And um, in um, Roadside Special, I think that's interesting too. this woman that's. Her basically her job around town is to make crosses out of old hockey sticks for people that have died along the side of the highway. I just think that's kind of interesting. There's a lot of Fargo in that person. She's just kind of sides of highways, but also she's just kind of no nonsense. Like, yep, they're you know just a lot of that just kind of straightforward, blunt, mm-hmm. blunt is the way it goes. But yeah. Okay. Next question. Favorite setting. I think in one way, well, favorite setting in some. You know, in the car, there's a lot of like road trip. Yeah, you like those ones. I did like that. I I like that it came up, but nothing was nothing kind of repeated itself. So I like that idea. I like Thomas Trofimuk's ice fishing, you know, story that it had. It brought back some. It's a lot of Robert Munch kind of imagery in this. Like fifty, he has a fifty below zero book, and then in the ice fishing story in. Um, not I'll love you forever. I think it's called a promise is a promise. You know, that one where the guy goes into the ice and the, the people oh, try yeah. to take him and then he says he'll come back and they say, that's terrifying. We'll get you. Yeah. It's, it's a very scary. It's like a traditional folktale or something, mm. but it has some of those elements to it. Just the, what lies underneath. And so I like that too. Okay. Most thought provoking piece. Like you finished it and you just thought, huh, you really thought about it. So, most thought-provoking piece, um, I think, in a lot of ways, is in the mi- in the Natalie Meisner cycle of poems, the the five or so that she has the in the minus. There's a lot of cool ideas there. There's a lot of things that she brings up. You know, the the refugee kind of idea comes up a lot. And right now, of course, that's on people's minds again. You know, everyone has someone back home. That idea, um, you know, just trying to send money back and just trying to help and. The idea of people not wanting outsiders in their country, just little things like that. But there's so much more in in that. And it, it's not just one poem. I think that's why it works because it's this cycle and then each one has diff- a different theme. So there's a lot of things that I like about about her work. And um, so I think that's the one that you definitely think about a lot because there's just a lot of different ideas. I'm just the interviewer, but I love. I think that's the right. <laughs> it's not the right answer, but it's one of the right answers because you definitely are, and especially if you ever had the the privilege of hearing Natalie read those poems aloud, then you just it's like it's like something hits you. It's true. It, it's totally different than how I heard it in my head. I just hear it with my voice, pretty much. And when we had the the launch in Calgary, it was a smaller launch, but it was it was very nice and it was great because. Um, Lori Hanel and Allie Bryan and Natalie Meisner came to the launch and they all they all live in Calgary and uh, we got to hear them read and it's true yeah when Natalie read so she read it just the way that of course she hears it and the Mm -hmm. way that she wrote it so it's very powerful it's very very good and um, so that was nice and we'll try we'll definitely get her it'll probably be on the phone if we do it or some kind of electronic Skype thing Mm -hmm. so it'll kind of sound a little bit different than if we get her to read a little bit over the the podcast but there's definitely a lot of good things about that poem okay last rapid fire question you love titles for a lot of what you do that's the first thing that comes is the title you think almost that's the most important part of your pieces 
I love titles. Yeah, I love them. Okay, so favorite title, and you can't pick yours. I love mine. Actually, I don't. <laughs> well, Thomas Trophimux Brumel, I because it's a word I never heard of relating to winter is, I guess, part of its definition. I think that's pretty cool. It, it just evokes a lot of different things before you even read it. You have no idea what's going to happen. Um, I like Anthropocene. I hope I'm saying it right. Because, um, it once again, it sounds super cool. And then I like all the thes. I just went over them earlier. There's the rink, the motherland, the Cold War. The Cold War is very cute because it's about things that were happening during the Cold War. But obviously the Cold War, it's just such an easy... It works in a couple of, of ways. Of course, it works yeah. on so many levels. <laughs> and um, so I like those are the ones I think of right away. Okay, good. You did well at Rapid Fire. We only edited 10 minutes out of it. There was a lot of um <laughs> like that. Sorry. Okay. Uh, last thing, we're kind of jumping all around here, but um, the, the one thing that you have been able to experience for better or for worse uh, with both of the books is um, all of the marketing that goes behind them and the promotion and the just getting the word out that it's out there and this thing exists and here's what it's about. Um, so I, I don't know. I, we could You could probably talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but really quickly, um, what has been um, the most interesting, and there's the, one of those like super vague words, but we'll just keep it at that because then it opens it up there to whatever you want to talk no about. no word more, less interesting than the word interesting. interesting. We yeah. just saw that line. It's just perfect. It's from a story and I can't remember, but I'm quoting something. Yeah. Yes. But I, I'll keep it that way because then it opens it up to whichever direction you want to take it in. But the most interesting part of marketing these books, because you are solely in charge of that. Well, the most interesting thing is, you know, living in a city like Edmonton, when I first came out and told people about the book, even before there was a book, just the idea of the book, people wanted to talk about it and ask me questions about it. And then when the book came out, there was once again a lot of people that wanted to talk about it on TV and radio and things like that. Um, so once again, back to the child metaphor. When the second child was born, people were like, oh, yeah, we talked about that already. And so in just thinking about how to market a book, you you can't just be like, there's more in there. There's more stories. People are like, ah, it doesn't matter. So you have to, you do have to find an angle, which in some ways can be uncomfortable because I think – I'm very kind of pure and like stubborn about that stuff. And I think there shouldn't be an angle. The angle is that it's good writing and you talk about good writing all the time. You talk about books that come out and those authors have no relation to you at all or will never come see you at this radio station. And I'm here to talk right now. So that the the interesting thing at the beginning was just how everyone was so ready to talk about it. And that was great. And then also very quickly, the idea you know, going from self-publishing to more traditional publishing, and I would say that I'm probably somewhere in the middle right now because I don't have a staff or um, proper distribution channels like Penguin or even some of the bigger, even though they're independent, some of the bigger places have. The interesting thing about what it means to get your book on bookstore shelves, and I used to think that that was everything, and it's really just the tip of the iceberg. Just thinking that if you're somebody out there and you think, if I have a publisher, they're going to put the book on the shelf and that's going to be it. You have to realize, you really start to see how people buy their books and how people shop for books and how people learn about books that are out there. 
And yes, some people are just looking, just walking up and down the aisles waiting to be hit on the head with inspiration and say, oh, this is what I want to read. But And if, even if you think about that, you have to think about how much needs to go into the, des- the design of your cover, especially if you think that a huge part of your sales are going to be by people just looking at a book and being struck by its beauty. This is not really the case. Um, there are definitely a lot of relationships that are it's good to form if you can, especially if um, in a in a, I live in Edmonton. We live in Edmonton, so getting this book into every chapter's Indigo, Coles, and independent bookstore that sells new books in the city was extremely difficult to do. It and once we did it, you can't stop there. You have to form a relationship with the booksellers as best you can you have to kind of show them it's 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 really good to do um they see you they see that you're just a guy from the city you're trying to you know sell this book it's not self-publishing which has become a very bad word now there's like this rift between the two factions um but you want you need to let them know that you're out there working and everything you do you're telling people you can buy it at Chapters. You can buy it at Indigo. And yes, I am telling people to buy it at the independent bookstores. And if you want to support independent bookstores, you should. Um, and I think independent bookstores in Edmonton, like Audrey's, have been very good to this book. But once again, if you think that all you want to do is support independent bookstores and you're only going to have your book carried there, it's going to be tough for people to buy it. They want to. People want to buy their books the way they want to buy them. Some people want to buy them online and have them delivered or... They want to walk into the store that's closer to their house or in the mall. You have to understand how people buy things. It's That's part of what marketing is. It's not just make a big poster, make a sign, create an event. And yes, I could keep talking and talking and talking. But So that part was interesting about how I used to think that getting a book on a bookshelf was just like the end-all be-all, but it was just the beginning of all the work. And um, we did a couple things in Edmonton this year that we hadn't done before. We were at a craft art and craft fair called the Royal Bison. And um, that kind of changed my perspective on everything because it went back to, it's like the farmer's market style of, but for art, just to be able to look at somebody in the eye and say, this is my book. And for them to ask questions about it and want to know what it's about. um, And you can sell it to them in such a personal way. And even if they don't buy it, they know about you now. They know they put a face to the name. Um, they can think about it for people that they're thinking to buy presents for, for birthdays and Christmas and everything like that. And something like the Royal Bison has built such a great following of people that know every year when they go to it, they know that they're going to see cool stuff and they're going to see stuff, local stuff. And there are a lot of people in this city and places all over the world that want to support their local artists. So knowing that there are places out there where they let the local artist set up a table, tell their story right to the customers. It's totally different than something like a book signing just on a Saturday afternoon. And, um, you know, people want to hear from you and people want to ask you questions. And it's totally different when you, when you set up at a bookstore, it's kind of like you're almost invading their space. You're invading their Saturday. That's for sure. They see you and they don't quite want to make eye contact. And it's nice to have a place to, to be where you can tell Twitter followers and people on Facebook, hey, I'll be here on Saturday if you want to say hello. And that's always good. And it always works for, you know, a good a good amount. And, you know, you always have to take into account weather and things like that. So just, you know, I went from going, if I could get this book into all these stores, that'll be it. And then going to, if I could just individually basically 
say hello to every customer that I want to connect with, um, you know, I've kind of gone all the way around from just thinking if it's online, that'll be it to now going, I just need to get in touch with people and find where they want to go to buy books and then be there. And I think I'm honestly not trying to derail this at all because we're going to wrap it up right away. And I'm not trying to be funny. I swear to you, I'm being serious. Do you feel like a lot of what you just said about the marketing of these books has to do with the way that the drug dealers and the wire marketed their product? (laughs) Hand to hands, (laughs) customer service, giving it a good name. No, I don't. Do you want me to cut that out? No, but there were it makes me want to watch The Wire. There's a lot of life, life <laughs> lessons, but the thing was, no, they do it in a weird way. They give all the junkies free little taste samples. I mean, I could try to do that. I could try to get all the book junkies together, give them a taste of a story, and then see if they That's come back for more. That's what you're doing with more. these podcasts. You read, everybody's been reading their piece. That's the free taste. Buy the rest. Mm, yeah, I think oh, it's a stretch. I'll, I'll I think it's it a stretch. Okay. Don't edit it out. <laughs> okay, last thoughts. Any last thing that you'd like to say? Well, I mean, it's it's towards the end of the year, so um, I never, th- I I didn't think that w- my first idea wasn't to put together a podcast and then what would we fill it with. I thought that specifically creating this would be another way that people could hear from the authors themselves and hear them read their pieces. Um, I like listening to the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, and they have one about it's about they only about, do it about once a month. And the cool thing about that one is they have an author in, but that author reads from some other author's story, and then they talk about it, which I really like. But I really like having people in here to to do just that, and I like to keep that up. And uh, anybody that has listened, that has been fantastic. Uh, I want to thank all the people that have bought a book this year or any other year, uh, Volume 1 or Volume 2 or even one of my stupid books. And, um, you know, every little bit, has mattered and has been huge and it has been a very good year. It it was a slower start. It didn't even snow until the end of November. People were not thinking about winter for a long time, especially Uh in Edmonton and uh, around the province. It might've been a little bit different, but, um, and I've tried my best to kind of tell people around the province about this collection because it is an Alberta collection. And I think in 2016, I'll probably work a little bit harder to try to do that, to get into those little places that, because I don't want them to just think that this is Edmonton or Calgary. I'm in Edmonton. A lot of people live in Edmonton that are in this book, but, you know, there's a whole lot else. So hope to have some authors that are elsewhere representing other parts of the province. And um, But, yeah, it has been anybody that's written about it, bought it, bought it as a gift, um, told somebody about it. It's been It's been very, very good, and thank you for asking me about if there's going to be a volume three. I'm not tired of that question yet. Okay. Good. Thanks, Thanks Jason. You did a great job. Oh, th- thanks. You should work in radio or something. I'll see. Okay.